Greetings all, and I've got a Sunday treat for you today that will really help you with your health, longevity and productivity. I'm just back from the UK, another trip, and I gave two compressed talks uh, on Friday night with a kind of dinner and talk and Q&A in Skipton, UK, and on Saturday morning, one which I recorded also in Skipton with a great crowd and great Q&A. So it was organized by Werner Wheelock, who runs Low Carb Skipton. So I'll put the link down below to their site. And if you're in the region, please do support them and join up. But this talk really compressed a lot of knowledge uh, gained over the last 10 or 15 years with my huge worldwide network of professors, doctors, and metabolic specialists. So I'm giving it for free because we're all about helping people all over the world in as much as we can. So here we go and uh, do enjoy and do take note and make some changes in your life for the benefit of you and your families. Thank you. I'm delighted to be able to introduce Ivor to you. I say he's, he's one of the best, he's world class, and it's a great privilege to have him here today. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Werner. I'll just go back. Excellent. Thanks so much, Werner. And delighted to be back in Skipton. I was here in Broughton Hall a few years ago, maybe one or two of you were actually at that. And fantastic time, lovely people, so the privilege is all mine. So as Werner said, yeah, corruption basically, and the advice, unfortunately, conflicts of interests abound. So I was quite astonished 10 years ago when I began to get into this. Originally, I had a biochemical engineering degree, but I'd spent around 20 years more in kind of physics and fluidics and high volume manufacturing and corporate. Uh, but I was able to go back to my uh, biochemistry background when I got these poor results. And I'll mention that shortly. And what astonished me was I was quite well used to corporate corruption because of my role myself in corporate and some of the shenanigans you might be involved in, you know, bending rules. But in the health and nutrition sphere, it, it's just astonishing. It's, I was really impressed in a bad way. <laughs> so uh, health and longevity, I've heard her mention the benefits, but the key thing with this is it's not just some weight loss and you lower your risk and if you do this kind of thing properly and adhere to it and make it a habit and a lifestyle, you get mental acuity, sleep quality, or put diabetes type 2 in remission, which is a huge collapse in your risk of heart disease and many cancers and type 3 diabetes, Alzheimer's, now being called type 3, and it's insulin resistance of the neurological area rather than the physiology. So like type 2 diabetes is kind of, it, it's just vastly bigger than anyone thinks. Uh, and there's way more people affected by it than those that are diagnosed as such. So that's another point. So we get, it, we get into it real quick. I trimmed down the slides from last night because I, well, my wife, Eilish, actually said it was a bit long. And uh, <laughs> I think as well the value, the real value is in Q&A because people ask all the stuff that's not covered. So we, we'll trim it down. Uh, just briefly, I've been all over the world for 10 years. Luckily, I was sponsored by a wealthy Irish person who had a heart disease issue and, and spent a lot of money to try and save the world from heart disease. And he chose me to go around the world on his behalf and lecture. So I got to go all over the world. But this is Low Carb Houston. That was a fantastic gig. And I even got into the British Association for Cardiovascular Prevention and Rehabilitation because a good friend in the low-carb world, Dr. Scott Murray, who's a research cardiologist and practicing one, brilliant, brilliant publications, he was president for a short while, and he snuck me in to give a keynote at their AGM in London. 
And uh, I won't go through the story, but let's just say quite a lot of professors in the audience were not happy with what I had to say. <laughs> and I was not invited back. But it's a great one to have on your CV. This is me in 19, late 19, in Israel, in Tel Aviv. And the slide there I have, I'm going to touch on. It's a really important slide. So watch out for that one shortly. And our book, Eat Rich, Live Long, I think it was 2017 it came out. So myself and Dr. Gerber, who's an American doctor in Denver, uh, we put in everything we had at that time and knew. And I, I think we made a, a pretty good job of it. Now, here we are. This is uh, oh, last year sometime, Robert Lufkin, MD, a good guy. What happened in the 1980s so that everyone everywhere of all ages started getting fat? Uh, the, these lines, they're hard to see with the projector, but basically around here in the 70s coming into the 80s, all ages, everyone started getting fat. So in engineering, and again, I was 25 years in complex problem solving, which is multi-factor complex issues leading big teams. And it, it ain't easy, but you, you gotta have a lot of discipline. But when something like that happens, you actually smile because you say, we're going to have this in no time. Because when everything falls out of bed together suddenly, that's what you dream of because those problems are relatively easy to solve. Whereas when things slowly decline and come and go and they're not consistent and they're intermittent, those can be really subtle and complex and interacting variables working together sometimes, not others. But long story short, th this would be easy, and it, it actually is easy. Uh, we know what happened. And there's hundreds of millions of people around the world who are asking the question, or should be, or maybe they don't think of it. They just think it's my genetics. They should be asking, well, well what exactly was it? Maybe, can I go back and use that knowledge and reverse it? And, and, and you can. Um, Anyone know this guy? Did you see that movie? Yeah. <laughs> That's a movie. The, the author, Cormac McCarthy, of the book is brilliant. And Javier Bardem plays a psychopathic figure, uh, best portrayal of a psychopathic figure I've, I've ever seen. But he says a couple of really profound things, this crazy guy. And one of them we put at the start of our most important chapter in the book. Let me ask you something. If the rule you followed brought you to this, of what use was the rule? Uh, quite, quite powerful. And of course, we know now the dietary guidelines and the shift to vegetable oils for heart health and the shift to you know, healthy whole grains, which really meant refined carbohydrate wheats, which the food industry absolutely was orgasmic when the scientists suddenly told them that the two cheapest ingredients on the planet that cost nothing, vegetable oils and refined grains, were now healthy so the food industry said you know and and that was the explosion of processed food the guidelines actually advised going to a processed food hellhole and the guidelines people would say oh we meant healthy whole grains and unprocessed rubbish once they said whole grains were good and wheats were good they let the genie out of the bottle Pandora's box was opened and when we know what happened. And the vegetable oils that they still claim are heart healthy are, are the, quite the opposite. So that's a disaster too. So Dr. Tro here, I, I love this tweet from him last year. He's a good pal. He's an internal medicine specialist and an assistant professor. He runs a department in a big hospital. He's super smart and he's now publishing papers as well. Great guy, but he's a tough guy from New York. And he basically says that balanced diet moderation BS may have worked 90 years ago before the widespread proliferation of processed carbs and seed oils. 
Now cut your bleep carbs. <laughs> Start there, cut processed fats. Then after a couple of weeks, stop eating when you aren't hungry because this will happen. If you start eating real food, a couple of weeks, your biome will adapt and your hunger will begin to fall away. It's quite magical. It happened to me. And he says then, balance diet my ass. It's complete nonsense. And he's absolutely correct. Interviewed him in Denver in March the, last year, and uh, he's, he's flying form. But he just published this paper of 48 individuals in corporate settings. And they put them on a ketogenic, very low-carb diet without calorie control. They just told them how they could eat, advised them, bit of support. And they managed to get with 49 patients, actually, uh, nearly a metric ton of weight was lost between the 50 people uh, in, I think it was a 12-month interval. And you can see the rapid collapse in weight. Now, some people didn't lose so much weight, and you can get you know, insulin-sensitive obesity where your body really doesn't want to lose weight and you're not that unhealthy. And also some people are not adherent, even if they say they are. I mean, that's human nature. So there's going to be varied results, but generally massive reduction. And the results in terms of the medical side were extraordinary. There were truly massive reductions in triglycerides, which is the real bad cholesterol in your cholesterol panel. LDL doesn't really mean much. A CRP inflammatory marker, blood pressure, and liver enzymes, which are crucial. So we don't just have an epidemic in the U.S. of fatty liver disease, non-alcoholic, in adults. That came decades ago. There's now an epidemic in children of fatty liver disease. So to Werner's point, the youngest type 2 adult onset diabetic in the world a few years ago was in the newspaper. Uh, The kid was three years old. And when it was very obese, but three a Korean, and when they went in, they said it has to be type 1 diabetes, autoimmune, because three years old. And no, it's type 2. The insulin was through the roof, not missing. So it, the world has is, is gone insane, as Werner said. A massive increase in HDL, the good cholesterol. Now, this is very meaningful. This HDL, good cholesterol, means a lot. And there was no change in LDL. So they went high fat, low carb, got amazing results, and their LDL didn't even go up. So even that's partially a myth that the LDL will really change much on a high fat diet. So you see the mythology is true, everything. Uh, It's opposite stay in nutrition world, right? So fantastic results, 16% average weight loss. Um, But the bottom line, if we look at it, just to re-emphasize, We're worried about the causes of death in the world and morbidity and quality of life collapse and long-term end-of-life care as opposed to staying quite healthy and maybe suddenly declining and passing like would be, you know, hundreds of years ago. So we look at the breakdown of the causes of death. So over a third is heart attack and stroke. This is the biggest cause of death. Cancer is now pushing up behind it for sure. Uh, So that's a huge one to focus on. Uh, kidney disease, diabetes type 2, and Alzheimer's, which is type 3 diabetes, so the, the diabetes cluster uh, where the death is attributed to that, uh, you know, another big chunk. Now, most of these are also diabetic-driven, but they're not called that. They should be, but they're not. So over half in total. Cancers, most of the solid tumor cancers and the big killers in cancer, you know, breast, colon, endometrial, the big killers that make up most of the cancer death, they're all intimately linked to insulin resistance, which is type 2 diabetes. So here we, you can see where this is going.
and chronic respiratory COPD. It's a hallmark of insulin resistance diabetes. It's almost uh, diagnostic. COPD is almost diagnostic of highly insulin resistant person. So basically most of the pie relates to what we're talking about, insulin resistance. And then we've got accidents. Well, can't help you with that. <laughs> Just be careful there, guys. Uh, and in here, we've got the rest, you know, flus, colds, coronavirus, and, and everything else is in this slice, which kind of gives a sense of perspective, uh, perhaps. So let's address this risk. So let's look at it. Uh, this is me in 2013 in Singapore. I was in a crab meat place. Very good. Engineer took the picture. I was very angry. Uh, I was quite a bit heavier. And I just discovered what I'm going to show you, what the root cause of disease, obesity, and everything was. So I was, I was just about to embark on my journey of change, and it, it was a pretty big one. What I found out, because I had uh, serum ferritin, GGT, and cholesterol were all crazy wrong. I didn't really know what they meant. I quizzed the doctor, what are the implications of these measures? Because I could see I was up at two or three sigma in the, in the normal distribution of humans. They were way high, so I didn't know what they were, but I knew they were, they were a problem. And they were standard blood tests. So I said, it's not like I got a, some weird blood test. What astonished me was the doctor was very vague. And as, as a leader in problem solving, I often have to interrogate leaders when I'm brought in to fix a problem when it's not getting fixed. You know, and you've got to be diplomatic. You know, there's a lot of people, stuff involved. But you do have to grill the leader and find out what they know. Do they know what they're doing? And clearly this doctor couldn't help me. I knew from the answers. Just wasn't really sure. Talked about whole grains and maybe lower your fat. And I, I knew that couldn't be anything to do with it. Um, and I went to two more doctors and a professor of medicine who I was connected to. And astonishingly, the same problem. They gave me some tips and some things worth checking. But they didn't know. I mean, this is amazing. So I hit the books for three or four weeks and uh, found out this. I found out without question that my problem was excessive carbohydrate. I mean, I, I didn't have any question because I'd gone through at this stage hundreds of published papers and I did the root cause classic uh, process and I came to the irrefutable in my mind conclusion. I was excessive carbohydrate and I needed to take all the carbs and sugars out immediately. And that meant I'd be eating a lot of high fat food by definition. You take out all the carbs and all the sugars, protein and fat are left. So I switched to eating basically lamb chops and meat, fish and eggs mostly. Uh, I switched from this diet and this diet was high in sugar. I wasn't aware of how bad sugar was. And I was drinking orange juice, which is more sugar than Coca-Cola original. And I was eating meat, fish, and eggs, but also vegetable oils. I fell for the heart healthy nonsense. And I was eating some junk food and a lot of carbohydrate, healthy whole grains, lots of fruit, you know, five a day and fruit sweet and tasty. Of course, it's easy. So I was eating a lot. And that's what was ruining my liver and causing all these bad... Uh, metrics. Root cause solution, clear as crystal, switch to this diet. I didn't know anything about the low carb, high fat movement. I vaguely later realized there was an Atkins guy, but they said he was a shill and he was killing people. But I, I didn't know there was a whole movement. I, I was going straight to the database. I actually thought I was discovering this and after I realized. <laughs> but you know, it was fun at the time. So Meat, fish, and eggs, coconut was in, olives were in, high-fat foods were in, butter was back, olive oil instead of vegetable oil, double cream in the coffee, no problem. Um, you know, avocados, I was realizing, there's all these nutrient-dense, and fish, of course, very good, small fish, fatty fish. So I switched to that, cut out all the sweet stuff, because that was a no-brainer. 
I mean, that was just obvious as hell that sugar was the problem and not fat. And um, I really minimized potatoes and things, but I ate vegetables. So it was a complete fold fast to switch. Later, I realized I'd gone on some kind of paleo, very low carb diet. But at the time, I, I didn't really know about these movements. And mostly, though, it was, it was meat and fish. And the vegetables were thrown in on the side, but I wasn't too worried about them. And here's what happened in six weeks. So insulin resistance was the problem. Uh, there was my GGT, which is one of the most sinister metrics you can have high. The actuaries love GGT for life insurance. Now, they have no, no skin in the game on biochemistry or nutrition. They don't care. They only care what number means you're going to die early. And then we can make sure we can get a profit on you or, or you're going to live long. I'm going to make sure we charge you more. They don't care. The actuaries have papers on GGT. They love it, right? It's basically type 2 diabetes reflector. And uh, I switched the diet, nothing else, no change in exercise or alcohol. And six weeks later, it dropped down into the population range. And two weeks later, as an engineer always does, you've got to verify the trajectory and it continued dropping down to 35, which is pretty fine. But not just that. Uh, the ferritin halved, which is another bad metric, but it came down into range. Uh, the cholesterol did not drop. It actually went up. But I had now understood it's only the ratios of HDL to triglyceride that matter. And my LDL in total went up, but I knew that that was absolutely irrelevant because I'd found the papers that proved that. So I didn't worry about that. So I said, great stuff, thumbs up. A blood pressure came right down to normal with no extra exercise. And it came down and began to come down fast before the weight loss uh, started. Before any noticeable weight loss. They say, oh, you're overweight. That's why you have high blood pressure. No, 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 no. You're overweight because you're insulin resistant. You have high blood pressure because you're insulin resistant. The weight doesn't cause the blood pressure. The insulin resistance causes the blood pressure and the weight. So that's a key point. And my weight came down a lot to nearly 80 kilos at one point in, in nine weeks. And the people at work were astonished. And the weights came right down. So that's when you find a dramatic, profound, all-encompassing root cause in a problem, in a process, a complex process, that kind of thing happens. You are trying to fix this metric here. You found a cause. You changed it. But the metric alone did not change. The whole process, the quality gets better everywhere. That's a real root cause. And you know you're profoundly correct when that happens. And, and this is a case in point. So that's it. So at this stage, I was gleeful because I had it cracked and I knew it. And in work, I began to give lectures. And interestingly, it's not just all those metrics. My mental energy, my joie de vivre, my productivity, everything shot up. And as engineers and work began to come to the lectures, you could see weight dropping all around the plant. And the managing director, this is a fact, we had banned all third level education unless it directly related to our specific business. Our new CEO basically was a cost cutting crazy guy. And, but our MD actually approved me if I wanted, suggested if I wanted to do a PhD in this kind of stuff. How the hell would he do that? He nearly got in trouble for doing that. But he saw the employee engagement. He saw the change. And he saw people actually upping their game and going for management positions where before they were kind of sloppy and not motivated. So it just shows you the impact beyond the, the basics. So we'll show you this uh, diagram just to beat it home. 
the simple reality is insulin resistance, hyperinsulinemia, they're the same thing, two sides of a coin, drive heart disease like nothing else, plus many of the cancers and, and Alzheimer's, yada, yada, yada. Unfortunately, insulin resistance decreases your HDL cholesterol, your good cholesterol, and it increases small dense LDL, and it can move around the bad LDL number. Not consistently, but it moves around. And industry jumped on this as the big thing. But they didn't realize, or when they did, it was too late because the money was being made from this. Uh, they're proxies. Cholesterol system is a proxy for what is, in truth, the real deal. And the real deal, of course, is the insulin resistance, hyperinsulinemia pathology that's really driving the bus. And the ironic thing is, if an engineer looked at this and internalized it, they would say, oh my God, this is terrible. We're actually focusing on a proxy and we're missing you know, the real game. We're missing what's actually happening, the root cause chain, the cause and effect chain. So now I'll show you something I think that's really important. So don't listen to me. Let's listen to the experts. So there's five algorithms around the world that are used to decide whether or not you should go on medication for life. So they're a big deal, 30, 40 years development in them. And you put in the cholesterol and other factors and it gives your 10 year risk for a heart attack. And therefore you can make a decision whether preventative meds are needed. So I'm going to use their algorithms and put in a guy, middle-aged male, with a super high cholesterol of 8 and an LDL of more than 5 millimole or more than around 190 milligrams in US units. Now, these kinds of numbers in a middle-aged male, any doctor, most doctors, would see these numbers and get a shock, right? They're going to ensure that the person gets a medication prescription immediately before leaving the office because they're going to be genuinely worried this guy could have a heart attack and it's kind of my responsibility. So the prescription will be given, the person will go out with meds. But what if I put in the numbers to their algorithms such that this person is not insulin resistant? So you can put in no diabetes, you can put in no hypertension, like he's got good blood. You can put in the numbers such that you know that this person you're putting in is not insulin resistant. You know what the algorithms come out with? They come out with 3%, 4% risk. So 5% risk in a 10-year risk is, is too low to medicate. So their own algorithms validate what I'm telling you. They're all of them around the world. Q-risk in UK, you know, there's, I think that's Framingham, and this other one is, Anyway, there's lots of them. And the other thing is, and the lady asked me in the car park this morning, the best test to find out your level of actual cardiac disease and atherosclerosis is the CAC, the coronary artery calcification scan. Um, it doesn't involve injections. It's one quick scan. It's not always easy to get, but it tells you. It's so powerful. It predicts cardiac death and heart attacks more than all the other risk factors they use put together and then some. It trumps everything because you see the amount of disease, so of course you know highly likely what's going to happen. But if you do get a scan and a zero, which many of these guys will get a zero, they'll have no heart disease and they, and they will not have in the future really. Uh, if you put that in the advanced algorithms, that zero score, 
you come down a 0.9 or 1.9%. That's effectively zero. A 10-year risk for a middle-aged male down at around 1% is essentially zero for all intents and purposes. So it just shows you their own algorithms prove it. And whenever I push that one at the uh, cholesterol defenders online, there's always silence because there's no answer to that, right? So they just go away. Uh, I won't go through this in detail in the interest of speed, but just suffice it to say, Dr. Thomas Dayspring is the guy in cholesterol and heart disease, and he trains doctors all over America and universities. He's a lipidologist. He's basically the ultimate cholesterol expert, and he works with pharma a lot. He takes in a lot of money from pharma right, for his courses. But he admitted to me in 2014, kind of by mistake, he essentially admitted when I was goading him on Twitter and I was kind of setting him up, and he did admit it. In reality, the majority of heart attacks are due to insulin resistance. And LDL bad cholesterol is a useless predictor for cardiovascular issues, unless it's way up over five, right? Which is not really true, but he said it. So again, top expert in the world and a pharma guy. So how important is blood insulin? This study I love, it basically showed that in Colombian men who had a heart attack, they did a great study and said, we're going to follow them for seven years and we're going to measure all their bloods to the start and we're going to get a full profile of all of them and we'll watch and see who gets a second heart attack. And then at the end of seven years, we can look at the data and say, well, what was the thing to watch to know that you're going to have a second heart attack? So it's huge. So what they saw, like in all the studies, I have loads of them I won't show, there was no predictive power of LDL or total cholesterol for a second heart attack. It was just non-significant. There was no risk multiplier. And that, this happens all the time when you don't hear about it. And high blood pressure, if you had a higher blood pressure at the start, you would double the chance of being one of the guys to have a second heart attack. That makes sense. Blood pressure is, is a problem. But high insulin... How predictive was that of a second heart attack? Nearly seven times more likely if your insulin was high. So any engineer would know, or, or layperson, to be honest. Oh, obviously, you've got to be watching your insulin. Yeah, obviously. And just a quick point, and Dr. David Unwin has done lovely papers on this and others. Uh, most high blood pressure in the West, because it doesn't happen in indigenous humans anywhere in the world. Their blood pressure never goes up. It just doesn't happen they're not insulin resistant. That's it. Uh, insulin resistance causes salt retention in the kidneys and drives up your blood pressure. So I often say to people, if in the morning we only had meat, fish, and eggs, there was no other food, uh, anti-hypertensive market would be gone in three months and many pharma companies would shut down. If you could only eat meat, fish, and eggs, you cannot maintain hypertension. You can't. It's impossible. Now, you get rare cases of kidneys. In general, Hypertension that's 50 or 60% of adults over 60, that's just going to fall off the map. You know, these are the bizarre, simple truths. So I'm going to speed now. How am I on time? I'm going a bit faster than yesterday, I think, but uh, not too bad. Okay. Euroaspire is a stunning study, and you see Dr. Scott Murray there, the president of the uh, BACPR who brought me into London. Uh, he loves this too, because he sent it to me originally, and he said, Ivor, Look at this. And I looked at it and flipped through the pages very quickly on the screen. And I looked at the numbers. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> this, is, this is the mother load. And, and I've used it so many times. 
It's a mother load because they went all over Europe and looked at all the coronary disease patients, a sample across ages 18 to 80 and across 24 European countries. So you can't say, oh, well, they're genetically different in Eastern Europe where you looked at them, and that's why the result doesn't apply everywhere. And you can't say, oh, well, you're only looking at young people, and that's different. They looked at everything. So whatever they say goes, right? This is heart disease. This is the answer to heart disease, you could say. So what did they see? Well, at first they saw, oh, my God, oh, oh embarrassing. A third of them were type 2 diabetics on their medical record already from the get-go of all of these people, regardless of age. But they looked close at the glucose. They were looking at oral glucose tolerance, A1C, fasting glucose, two-hour glucose. They were looking at glucose closely, which no one usually does. So they saw that another quarter are full-blown type 2 diabetic. They just haven't been diagnosed. So now over half of them are full-blown type 2 diabetic. Right? It's a bit embarrassing. But when they looked at the data, they realized actually another quarter are they called it high risk for type 2 diabetes, but it was type 2 diabetes. It just hadn't reached the ridiculously high bar to be called it, but it was, it was frank type 2 diabetes. Three quarters of all the heart disease patients in Europe were type 2 diabetic. And as myself and Dr. Gerber and others pointed out, they didn't even test their insulin, and that's the earliest laboratory test for type 2 diabetes. Glucose doesn't show you most of the, or a lot of the people. You need to use insulin. So if they used insulin, they'd pick up another big chunk. See what I'm saying? Nearly the whole pie. Nearly the whole pie of cardiac disease is essentially insulin resistance type 2 diabetes. If you took that out, heart disease would not disappear. There's lots of special problems and arrhythmias, but it'd, it'd almost disappear. Insulin resistance, biggest game in town. And the low-carb or ketogenic diets, I'm not going to bring it through them. I showed you my example, and it's broadly reflected all over the world, hundreds of thousands of people and in studies. This was quite dramatic because when I realized after two weeks that my appetite now was suddenly, for the first time in 20 years, under full control, it was such a novelty I began to play with it. And I began to skip meals and work through the day without eating. Almost for fun, because I wasn't going after weight loss. I was going after GGT. But I, I just thought, wow, I cannot eat now and I feel fine. That's a low-carb diet. You begin to burn your own fat and you've suddenly got this reservoir of energy. And after a few weeks when you get used to it, you can skip meals. Because I was skipping meals for fun, my weight began to collapse and these metrics moved even faster. So that's probably an extreme example of what you can do. But technically anyone can do it. But most people just go low-carb and they don't quite go crazy on it like I did. But it can be done. Um, Primary cause early death, just a quick reminder, if you search for insulin resistance and any of these conditions on our kind of board of death, you're going to have masses of papers to read in the scientific literature. So insulin resistance is connected intimately in hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of studies to all of these conditions I showed you, uh, because essentially it kind of underpins them all. It's insulin resistance is a model of accelerated aging, as Dr. Ron Rosedale said. It's a model of accelerated aging. If you push insulin resistance in a person, you accelerate their aging, and they're basically falling apart. Neuropathy, heart muscles, heart vessels, the brain, you know, Alzheimer's. Turn on insulin resistance in someone, and you start spinning the clock forward. If you view it that way, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. 
So it's not just insulin resistance and blood glucose, because I keep talking about that. I just like focusing on the biggest thing, Pareto principle. And there's lots of other problems like inflammatory drivers, and obviously smoking is going to accelerate your aging. You ever see someone who smokes a lot? Particularly ladies, unfortunately, um, you know, skin is affected, everything's affected. So autoimmune and infections can be a big problem and mineral and vitamin deficiencies like vitamin D deficiency, magnesium deficiency, they'll all destroy your machine too. But, but this is the big one and the primary diet-related one. So we, we focus on the biggie. Uh, and I just show they're linked to everything. Uh, interestingly, survey in the US around 2015, I think it was, 65% of procs of US adults over 45, that group of all US adults over 45, are pre-diabetic or diabetic, type 2. Um, and pre-diabetic is diabetic. Pre-diabetic is a nonsense. They call it pre because it's too embarrassing to call it diabetic and admit that two-thirds of your adults are diabetic. That's politically impossible. So no one's going to change that threshold. This is political. You can't deal with 65% have type 2 diabetes. Um, it's funny how a lot of this is political. And myself, Dr. Gerber, Professor Noakes, I'm a huge network around the world, generally would guess it's probably 80% if they measured insulin. You know, and England's not going to be a mile behind, you know. These days we're all catching up with America. And just to note that pre-diabetic, diabetic, insulin resistant, hyperinsulinemia, insulin resistance syndrome, syndrome X, cardiometabolic syndrome, I could go on all day. All of those things mean the same thing. There's papers using them all, and it's like there's all of this crazy different stuff going on. It's a lie. It's all diabetes type 2. So just so you know, one way to confuse everyone is to call it different things, and all talking pompously from papers with different names, and everything is, you know, you have to be an expert to know this. It's all nonsense. It's all diabetes. It's all diabetes. Quickly, public health collaboration wraps up all of the studies on weight loss in one go. Great guys, you know, phc.co.uk. And essentially, low-carb in studies beat low-fat 36 to 0 in 36 of the main good studies. So that's the ones that are statistically significant. It was 58 to 7 when it wasn't significant, the results, so you can't really say it. But the ones where the result came up as statistically significant, and you can stand over it, low-carb beat low-fat 36 to 0. So when you hear, oh, low-carb is not good, and oh, low-carb is a fad, 36-0 in the published literature, but industry has to push low-fat. They just have to, because the whole cholesterol business and the whole processed food business is utterly dependent on low fat. There's no going back. And that's why you hear everyone talking nonsense. Uh, so low carb wins every time, just every time. Feynman, a pal of mine, New York professor, he's great. I love this, uh, he showed. He said the best statistical test, and he's an expert in statistics, but he said it's the eyeball test. Because when you do advanced statistics, and I've seen this a million times, you can use it to basically obfuscate and actually create a fraudulent conclusion. I see it all the time. You just do enough statistical manipulation and p-hacking and selection, and you can actually get your funder's desired outcome, uh, even when it's not true. They all do it. So he said, just, just use your eyeball, guys. And basically, 
Disease has gone through the roof. That's diabetes in the last 40 odd years, while red meat consumption per person has been coming down. So any engineer would know, and presumably uh, lay people as well, if something's coming down over 50 years and your disease is going through the roof, the only thing you know is it's not that thing, okay? You know, if, if that thing, red meat, was going up, you could say it might be the meat, but it might not. But when the meat's been coming down while that's been going up, you know the red meat has no part in modern chronic disease. And the actual fact is, it's, it's a superfood because it brings so many nutrients and it brings so few carbs or vegetables. So meat is a superfood. Whatever you think about you know, animal welfare and all, it's a separate issue. Meat is a superfood for Homo sapiens. The only reason Homo sapiens are here or we're in this room is because the hominids began to scavenge and eat meat and they traded off their large guts, digestive uh, freedom, they traded it off for a big brain. So the gut got small because they were eating all these nutrient-dense foods and the brain was allowed to expand and then the hunting developed the brain a lot as well because you had the whole natural evolution that the successful hunters, the fastest, the cleverest, tended to be more successful. We ended up here in this room. But now we can choose to not eat meat if we do a careful diet. But to get here, it's, it's just an important point that's accepted in paleoanthropology across the board. So there you go. So that's the meat scam. And the problem, of course, is what went up over the 50 years is what I told you sugar, refined grains, and industrial vegetables. It's not rocket science. I call it for a long time the devil's triad, because for me, that's it. It's the simplest answer. Why do we have modern chronic disease through the roof? It's the devil's triad, sugar, refined grains, and vegetables, which is ultra-processed food. That's it. I'm sorry it's so simple, but that's it. And uh, just briefly, sugars. This is from David Ullman. There's masses of glucose, which is sugar. It's not like table sugar like Coca-Cola sugar, but it, it's sugars. Um, basmati rice, potatoes, white bread, obviously French fries, spaghetti. These are masses of spoons of sugar per serving. It's masses of sugar, you know? And then down, when you get eggs and all, there's no sugar. That's a simple point. And I mentioned the orange juice. Orange juice is higher sugar per pint down Coca-Cola. We all know you can't drink Coca-Cola. It's a sugar explosion. Orange juice is worse. It's got some nutrients, but you can get them elsewhere. You know, you can get them from <laughs> elsewhere. And um, ultra-processed food is full of sugars. Um, you know, that's what makes it bad, not E-numbers. Don't mind E-numbers. We had this cartoon in our book. The <laughs> this guy's wondering, hmm, yeah, is there a connection between how I am and what the government has been telling me? And there is, of course, because bread and starches is down the bottom. You know, so that's what the result is. And um, refined carbohydrates, they come in many forms. So even your whole grain bread is a highly processed, ultra-refined carbohydrate grain. But we think, well, this is healthy, right? No, 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 this bagels, this, you know, it's all the same. These cereals, they're all carbohydrates with sugar. So, you know, these bars, I mean, unfortunately, crackers, they're all refined carbohydrates, ultra-refined. And that, that's the problem. So that's part two, and they pack them into ultra-processed foods. And finally, the vegetable oils. I don't know where I got this years ago, but there's something evocative about it. But it's very good because it's like, would you really drink this factory chemical oil that they use hexane and solvents to extract from seeds with high temperature and pressure? 
and then they deodorize it because it's a rancid muck and they can't sell that so they have deodorizing chemical step and then they take out the warning odor that nature gave us they take away the warning and then they color it to make it golden and that's what you get in vegetable oil but we, it, it, people perceive from the media that someone just crushed a broccoli and this beautiful oil came out it's a complete lie complete lie um, you can avoid all the bottles, but the problem is, and the margins are just, just revolting, the problem is it's invisibly in all the ultra-processed food. So even if you say, well, I don't use vegetable oil, I don't use this, this margarine, I use butter. But every time your hand strays in the supermarket, most of the products in the supermarket, look on the back, canola oil will be nearly top of the list of ingredients. I, it's the most calories is from the vegetable oil. They packed it with mayonnaise, is something like 82% vegetable oil, Hellman's. 82% is vegetable oil. You might as well be like that lady, right? <laughs> when you're eating mayonnaise. Dietary scapegoats, and I'm going to speed through here. Of course, they scapegoated the competitor. When they said we had to eat all of this nonsense, well, they can't have you looking too much at real food. That's a competitor. It's a competitive threat. That's why they keep attacking real foods. It makes no sense. Why would they attack the foods we ate since human evolution? that got us here. Well, they're a competitive threat. They have poor shelf life and you can't make corporate big books and international trade on real foods. So they attack them all the time. Uh, organ meats are superfoods, eggs are superfoods. They're the two top superfoods on this planet, uh, in my mind. And of course, vegetables are good. Fish is fantastic and high fat things like avocado and olives are, are great foods too. At its simplest, you have to, ain't easy, but after a few weeks when you do it, you, you, the transformation can be astonishing. You cut out all the ultra-processed foods, the devil's triad, and you replace them with real food. And after a while, like me 10 years ago, I loved my new lifestyle. I got used to eating real food. I got a taste for real food again. And I lost the taste for the sugar and the addictive refined carbs. And when I lost that, it was fantastic because now I had actually walked beyond it. And, and once you get there, like everything's better. You, you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back. So you do that. Exercise is, is, is also very important. I don't want to understate it. And potassium, magnesium, and EPA, DHA, fish oil. And there's a bunch more. It is important to make sure you're replete and well up in, in all these crucial vitamins and minerals uh, because you could end up with a subtle problem that's due to being insufficient. So, but what I'll do at the end, because in fairness, Werner was quite critical of the experts, and I think I've been somewhat critical, have I, of the experts? Yeah, I have. Um, so I'm going to give the last word to the experts. And this guy isn't nutritional, but I just thought, you know, after the last couple of years, he's a good example of the expert, right? So I showed him. So what do the experts say? Well, this paper, and I'm going to finish on this, uh, Darius Mozaferian, I chaired a debate uh, years ago between him and Gary Taubes, the, the big New York Times author who did good calories, bad calories. And uh, Gary wasn't amazing, but it was interesting because Darius is a huge figure in nutrition. I mean, Mozaferian is huge. He is on so many papers, and he was a big attraction for that conference of 800 people in Denver that we had. So I just wanted you to know he's a huge guy, massive influence. Very connected to industry and was very connected to Unilever and vegetable oils. But I, I'm sure that's not relevant. 
Tufts University came out with this new food compost system with a suggestion that we've done all the work now, guys, to close the question on food. We've made a new system with 5,000 foods, and we've scored them all. And it can be a universal guideline of what to eat, what to kind of avoid, and what to really avoid. So this is the experts, top experts, answer to our problem of food and quality of food and what we should eat. So we'll take a look. And Nina Teichholz put this together, by the way. Great, great lady. Up the top, which is to be encouraged and with an insinuation that you can kind of eat it with, with abandon or not worry about it because it's, it's really good food. So you don't need to worry too much. But what do we got? Watermelon, the highest sugar fruit there is with very little nutrient. Orange juice with calcium. With calcium is irrelevant. So they're saying orange juice. Now, I called out orange juice as the bet noir. It's the worst possible thing to get addicted to. It's up at 87. Eat as much as you want, drink as much as you want. It's the best. Frosted mini wheats. It's, 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 you can't make it up, but this is published. Do you see the gall that they have? Do you see the absolute arrogance of batting for industry from Tufts University? This outrageously, that's how bad they are. And they own the media. When you see articles on nutrition, these guys are the guys who are contacted by the media. Certainly not me <laughs> or Werner. Um, sweet potato fries. I mean, come on. Honey nut Cheerios. I mean, honey nut cornflakes. Years ago, I looked at the back of the packet, and even I was astonished how much sugar they put in it. I actually thought, ooh, how do they hold it all together with that much sugar? It's crazy. It's up at 73. It's in the green zone for these guys. And then if you quickly, and I'm going to finish on this, egg substitute fried in vegetable oil. That almost got into the green, kind of one best class of foods there is. See what I mean? It's crazy. And what lucky charms. <laughs> I think that's a cereal, or is it actually sweets? And I, huh? It's a cereal, but like everyone knows that it's all multicolored sugar bomb. But, but it's in there at 56. Now I'm going to have to, what's down as the worst foods then? Because we know what they're telling us to eat. What are they telling us not to eat? Because it'll cause disease, I guess, diabetes. Obesity, you're going to get fat. What's the worst tree down the bottom that Nina pulled out? Whole egg fried in butter. Cheddar cheese. Ground beef. Now, isn't it hard to believe? Do you see the audacity of them? They are so used to utterly owning the media and the nutritional universities, etc., that we can see in this that they just figure we can do what we want. We own the space. Poor Elmi and Vern are here trying to go around saving people. These guys have clout. So I think that was a great demonstration, and it gives you the opportunity to decide, well, maybe Ivor and Werner are wrong, and, and maybe we should trust the experts. <laughs> or not. So um, there you are, trust the experts. That's, that's, uh, that's the phrase the last few years particularly, and the last few years I, I won't get into the other topics, but it's essentially an analogy of this, what happened in the last few years. It's this similar kind of phenomena at play. So thanks very much. We'll keep time for Q&A, I think. <laughs>
So there you are, folks. Hope you got a lot of good takeaways there to improve your life and that of your family as well. And please do share this, pass it on, subscribe and hit the like button, etc. And discuss in the comments below. So my work and many of these trips are pretty much lost leaders. I cover the expenses at best generally. Uh, but everything I do in all of my work is to help people with health and being aware of geopolitical realities so they can look after themselves and their families into the future. And if you can support me, really appreciate that. The links are down below for my Patreon where I do monthly Zooms and vlogs uh, with unreleased material and also a PayPal link. And thanks as always so much to the people who currently support me. Uh, it really makes a difference. So thank you.